Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, could you turn to Genesis 16, please? No PowerPoint this morning. You're going to have to listen. How bad's that? I was too busy, sorry. So Genesis 16, and I'm going to read the first 15 verses. I'll start off and you can catch up as you get along. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian manservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after he had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said, you are now with child and you will have a son. You'll name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the Lord who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lei Roi. It is still there. Well, you're thinking, what on earth is she going to preach on this morning then? So I want to talk a bit about the story of Hagar. She was an outcast, an Egyptian slave. She was the mother of Abraham's son of unbelief. She'd fled from his wife, Sarai, who mistreated her while she was pregnant. She was banished to the wilderness. She was pregnant. She was wandering. She was lost. She was alone. And then an angel spoke to her. You can imagine this story today, can't you, in a celebrity gossip magazine. I can. Love triangle baby. Politician has a love child. I'm just waiting to see this election, which one it is going to be. Um, jealous wife mistreats mistress who flees domestic violence. Pregnant, alone, disowned by her lover, no one to turn to, unwilling surrogate. That could be a story out of tomorrow's sun. There we go. You heard it here first. It's an ancient, and yet it's a very modern story. Hagar was in a challenging place. She was in a very confusing place. She was caught in the middle of a very complicated relationship web. But then God stepped in and spoke to her. So she gave this name to God, El Roy or El Roi, you are the God who sees me. 
And that's what I want to base these few moments on this morning. It's the word that Hagar, the name that Hagar gave to God, El Royar, you are the God who sees me. Because she had been seen by God in the situation that she was in, and he listened to her, and he spoke to her. And it doesn't matter what position we're in today, or whatever our circumstances are, because God sees you. That's what kids do, isn't it? I see you. That's what I used to do to my kids. I see you when they're misbehaving. But God sees everything. He sees the good, he sees the bad, and he sees the ugly. He sees you personally, and his eyes are on you. He's aware of everything. Can you imagine how Hagar felt alone, abandoned, pregnant, mistreated in the wilderness? And then God spoke to her and she said, she had that revelation and said, you are the God who sees me. God sees you personally. His eyes are on you and he's aware of everything that you do. And like Hagar, she cried out and God listens to our prayers. He listens to our hopes. He listens to our dreams. And you know, he really listens. Who's been on a course at work about listening and communicating? Yeah, if you work in the public, then yeah, you've all been on communication, listening courses. And how often do you go, yeah, I'm listening. And you can tell, can't you? I could say, I'm really listening to you, Ian, but actually... You know, my eyes are over there. I'm thinking about what's in the oven for lunch. I'm thinking what I'm... We don't listen half the time, do we? Or if you listen to people, you're kind of half listening. But then if it's a complex situation, I'm actually thinking, crikey, what am I going to say next? So I'm processing what I'm going to say next and not really listening to what people are saying. But God really listens. He tunes in and he listens attentively to what we say. Maybe not like we pretend to listen sometimes. Because God sees us he is the God who sees me his eyes are on us and he is aware of everything that we do now when my kids were younger I used to tell them and they believed me probably until they were about eight I told them that I had x-ray vision any other parents done that clearly it must be a good parenting skill and I could they'd be downstairs and you could hear them and I go I can see you with my x-ray vision. And it would go quiet and it would be all right. And then sometimes, if they were doing something I thought was quite good, I'd go, I can see you with your x-ray vision. Well done. And for years, they actually thought I had x-ray vision. It was fantastic. I didn't have to go there. I just used to say, I can see you, boys. I can see through the walls. And I think with all the comic cartoons, that's what you have. You have people who can see through also. Why shouldn't their mother have x-ray vision? I reckon that's what they thought. Well, I did. So, parents, that's a tip. Get x-ray vision. You can get the glasses from Specsavers. But it worked. But it's a bit different from that. But actually, God can see us all the time. He's kind of got x-ray vision. And it's like a super version. He doesn't just see us like me seeing all of you. He actually sees us individually now do any of you remember when you first fell in love oh how nice 
you would, I kind of, I don't think Tony can remember it. It's a long time ago, wasn't it? I mean, you know, I think he's looking a bit haggard now, but he, he probably can remember when he first fell in love with Rose. Oh, isn't that nice? Did you? You've got to say yes now, Tony. I'm setting you up, clearly. You know, when she walked into a room, did you notice her? Yes, Mary. <laughs> you know. I could pick on all sorts. I could have quite a lot of fun now, couldn't I? But I'll be good. When you first fall in love, you notice the people, don't you? Alison, did you notice Paul? Yeah, see? Paul, you were significant to Alison. She noticed when you came into the room. Now, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you notice your grandchildren. Everyone, you, who's been to school sports days, nativity plays, you know, drama productions, football matches? You've been there, haven't you? And you go, and I'm sure when you go, you kind of watch all the kids, but really you're only looking for yours, aren't you? You know, Jack Clark, when your granny comes to watch you play football, she ain't looking at the other 21 kids on the pitch, is she? She's looking at you. And you, Tony, they're looking at you. And God's like that, you know. It's like he's with us all the time. There's millions and billions of people, but he's looking at us because we are the apple of his eye. He's drawn to watching his children. There are billions of people, but he's drawn to watching you just like you're drawn to watching those that you love because that's where your focus is. That's the focus of your love and your care. And God's eyes are on you, his children, because God is El Roy. He sees you. He sees your achievements. He sees your disappointments and your challenges. He sees your bereavements and he sees your joys. He sees... He hears and he does his best for you. Whether you're far or near, he sees you. Whether you're in the wilderness or whether you're in the good place, he sees you. 2 Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He sees you to strengthen you. Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He sees you because he's keeping watch over you. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. He sees you because he's there to deliver you. I want to, Rach, can you, with the worship team, I want them to just, Rach is just gonna sing, Be Still My Soul. And I just want you to think about what I've just said. I haven't finished, so don't get excited. We're not at the end. But just think about what it means that God sees you. Yesterday, he saw Rob Lehman as he got married, didn't he? Yesterday, he sees people who are ill and actually who can't get out of bed to come to church. He sees the kids who are sitting there, GCSEs and A-levels and graduation exams. Think about what's going on in your life at the moment and just think God sees you. You're the focus of his attention. 
He sees you to strengthen you, keep watch over you, deliver you. And thinking about what Roy said, what do you want God to do for you? Because he sees you and he watches you. And Rachel's just going to sing, Be Still, My Soul. And as she does, just reflect. Just take this moment to just pause and say, Okay, God, you see me. What is it that you want me to do? Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to Hastening on 
sorrowful God loves pure joys restored be still my soul when change and tears are past all safe and blessed we shall meet at last in So it doesn't matter what circumstances we're in, whether we're like Hagar, God sees you. He brings you rest. He brings you peace. I want to move now to read from Psalm 139. I have to say, it is my all-time favourite psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be.
That's just another way of saying, isn't it, that God sees you. He sees all your days. And David had a revelation and understood exactly the same truth as Hagar, that God saw him. The shepherd boy who would be king, God knew him, he saw him, he saw his potential. He was with him every step of his journey from first to last breath. And you know, you, each one of you, were once an idea in the mind of Almighty God. And God only has good ideas. He doesn't have bad ideas, does he? You were once an idea in the mind of Almighty God. He surrounds you. He sees you, covering your yesterdays, shielding your today, and he stands waiting in your tomorrow. Everything that seems confusing today, he promises to turn to good. And you know, because God made us and he created us, we need to be authentic. God designed us, he designed you before the world began. I cannot get my head around that, can you? That God designed you before the world began and his power rests most fully on you Not when you're impersonating somebody else or striving to be what you're not, but when you are you. So we need to allow God to imprint on our lives and be comfortable with who we are, not always trying to be better or thinner, although being thinner would be nice. But we need to be who God designed us to be. If you don't feel at your best... Or maybe you think life's a bit chaotic. Just remember, the Spirit of God is hovering. Just like he did at the dawn of creation. Because he specialises in bringing order out of chaos. Of bringing light out of darkness. Of bringing beauty out of nothingness. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, he doesn't make us any better than anybody else, does he? I know lots of Christians who aren't charismatic who say, you charismatic Pentecostals, just because you can speak in tongues, you think you're better than everybody else. Do you know what? We're not. God doesn't make us any better than other people. The Holy Spirit just works on us to make us better than we are ourselves. He gives us wisdom beyond our knowledge. He can give us power beyond our strength and gifting beyond our ability. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we come better than our own best efforts, better than our own best thoughts. The Holy Spirit enables us to become the best version of ourselves possible. There is a downside. It doesn't happen like that, does it? It's a lifetime. It's a journey. We're all a work in progress. So do we believe what God says about us, that he created us, he knit us together, he made us in the secret place. His eyes saw our unformed bodies and all the days ordained for us were written before one of them came into being. The difficulty is that often we feel like failures. Maybe half the time we let people down, we say the wrong things. I regularly put my 
foot in it and say the wrong thing. You, you, you think that's surprising, Paul? I find it surprising. People who know me don't find it very surprising that I regularly say things and think, oh, you idiot, what did you say that for? Because I do have a tendency to be quite reactive and just say stuff and then think, oh, I wish I hadn't. Can I take it back? But you can't. Maybe we don't always follow through on the promptings of the Holy Spirit. As a parent, I've done some fantastic things. I've also made some pretty clashing mistakes. Church leaders wrestle with problems. We all face issues. We all face things that we wish weren't there. But it boils down to this. Do we believe that God sees us? And do we believe what he says about us? Because when you're in trouble, take heart. He's overcome the world. When you are lonely, he will never leave you or forsake you. When you feel like you've lost your way, he orders your footsteps. So we need to align ourselves with the truth of the word of God and keep remembering. So if God truly sees us, he knows our every day and our every days. He knows the mundane, he knows the routine, and he knows the eventful. But it does mean that we're significant to him because his attention, his love, his care, his eyes are on us and he orders our footsteps. Romans 8.14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And sometimes we need to just take a step back from the busyness of life and allow God time. So listen carefully to the next sentence. Nothing slows us down like being impatient and trying to get ahead of God or trying to take shortcuts. Sarah and Abraham tried to get ahead of God's promise by manufacturing the situation with Hagar. They had a son, but he wasn't the one that God intended or the one who was destined to fulfill God's promises. We can try, can't we, and get ahead of God, but actually, that just slows us down. We can be driven and want to get as far as we can, as quick as we can, but you know what? God wants us to enjoy the journey. It doesn't matter what stage of life that you're in, enjoy the journey. Because we can easily fall into the trap, can't we, of thinking that the next thing will make us happy. So it's, when I leave school, I won't have to do what the teachers say, then I'll be happy. When I'm at university, then that'll be great. Or when I graduate, things will be good. When I get a job, things will get better. When I get promoted, things will get better. When I have a wife, things will get better, and they will. That bit's true. When I have children, life will be better. When I have grandchildren, life will be better. When I retire, life will be fantastic. But you can see, can't you? You can spend the whole of your life just thinking, when I get to the next bit, when I get that new car, when I go on that holiday, then everything's going to be okay. Guess what? It's not. <laughs> That's kind of you suffer from destination disease. You can focus so much on the future that actually you don't appreciate the here and the now. And it can be a mirage. Every stage of life is different. There are ups and downs with every part. If you aren't happy where you are, I don't want to disillusion you, but a holiday won't solve your problems. 
It will be a quick fix for a week, but it's going to be exactly the same when you come back. So how are we meant to enjoy the journey? The answer is one step at a time. We shouldn't get anxious about where to go or what to do. That's God's job. He sees us and he's preparing good works in advance for us to do. God orders our footsteps, not just when we walk down the front and shake your hand and get your degree, or if you walk down the aisle on your wedding day. He even sees you when you're in the queue at the supermarket. He sees every step. Now, now it's confession time, okay? This could be interesting, it could be very boring. Would you please raise your hand now if you have a Fitbit or a pedometer or one of those apps that measures your steps? Anybody? Yes. Anybody got theirs on now? Keep your hand up. Excellent. Rachel? Anna, would you like to come to the front? It's always good to have a Fitbit or a pedometer. What I would like you to do is just walk once around there and tell me how many steps it is. Okay? Oh, you have to do some maths. Off you go, around there. Come on, Rachel, you're falling behind. Oh, she's got to find the app. Just follow around. I've got mine in my pocket. I can tell you, because James got a new one for his birthday, that it's 14,000 steps should you choose to walk around the walls of Chester. I walked, how many did I do yesterday? I did 14,795 steps yesterday along the seafront at Porthcawl. It was quite nice. I do have a bit of a tan. So, how many steps do you think it was going around there? 30. You think it was 30? Well, that's not very many, is it? Four. I'm hoping for more, Rach. Clearly, God is better than Fitbit. That's, that's one conclusion we can draw. Oh, she's on the wrong bit. If I'd guess, I'd reckon it'd be about 100 or so, if I was going to guess. Oh, she's going around again. Gosh, she's getting a bit... You, would like, you can go around to get... You can sit down, yeah, just... No? Okay. If your Fitbit or pedometer worked, you would know exactly how many steps you've done at the end of the day. And does anybody know, clearly you probably do, how many steps you're meant to be aiming at? 10,000. You should be aiming for 10,000 steps a day. Now, has anybody else other than me been in the bathroom naked at quarter to 11 at night, frantically running with my Fitbit in your hand trying to see how many... No? Oh, I thought that was normal. I thought most people did that. Well, I have been known to stand there with my phone going like this, frantically trying to get to my 10,000 steps. <laughs> Kevin is now trying to have his mind cleansed and wiped. <laughs> Sorry for showing that image for you guys, but you know. Some people have been known, other than myself, I do know, to frantically stand there at the end of the day doing steps, just trying to get to your 10,000. So, where did we get to? That was it, yes. You're going to remember that bit. You're going to remember nothing else I've said. You're going to remember that bit. So if you get in the zone and you're really obsessed, which is quite easy to become, you track your steps, don't you? And you do track how many you've done. I did a cycle ride the other week. 
and I was aiming to do 100 kilometers. By the time I got back to the car park, it was 99.5, so I just had to cycle around the car because I, was, I wanted it to say the magic 100. Do you know, God has seen every one of our footsteps, and I wonder what he thinks about some of them that we make. But he's seen every single one, whether it's 10,000 or whether it's just 100 that you make, God sees them all. Mark Batterson, in his book, If, says God wants you to get to where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. I'll say that again. God wants you to get to where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And God is good at getting us there. But we do need to learn to appreciate the journey, not just always wanting the next bit. Take our church, for example. Who would have thought we'd have been to Caris, Grace Academy, and loads of other places in between? Those are destinations on the journey. They're places on the journey that God wants us to enjoy while we're there and to work with. So just in concluding, coming back to Psalm 139, he's ordered our footsteps every day of our lives he has ordained. And just like Hagar, she learnt to say, God is El Royai. God sees me. He sees and he orders our footsteps. Every single one of the 10,000 or 100 or however many we take each day. So our job is to keep in step with the Spirit. God can take us out of our way to be the answer to other people's prayers because he sets up divine appointments. So we need to follow his lead to be patient, to take a step at a time, and to enjoy the, the journey. We need Genesis moments when God's ideas are conceived in our minds. We know, don't we, God can just drop something in your mind, and we need to follow what he's saying, and it can take us anywhere. To conclude, in case you had a snooze, has anybody, no, I won't even go there. Some people would even, I know, have their Fitbits on during worship. So if you're one of those people that dances, I am very suspicious. I suspect that you're just trying to get your steps in for the day. Now, I'm all right. I'm playing cricket this afternoon, so I will get plenty of steps in. But if you're dancing enthusiastically in the last song, I'll know because you've got your Fitbit on. But, you know, God sees you personally. His eyes are on you. He is aware of everything. And you are not invisible to God, even if you think sometimes that other people don't see or hear you. You're not invisible to God. Because as his child, you are the focus of his love and care. He watches over you to strengthen and deliver you. You were once just an idea in the mind of Almighty God, but you have now come into being, and God only has good ideas. He surrounds you, covering your yesterdays, shielding your today, and he stands waiting in your tomorrow. Allow him to order your 10,000 steps and enjoy each step. Savour the journey. Don't just look for the destination. 
and be open to divine appointments and opportunities. Thank you.